one podcast where nothing is off the table. Before the touchdown, before the home run, before the ball goes through the basket, Steve Samra, Pablo Hernandez, Andrew Morgan, Dan Delusia. It's time for a brand new episode of the Before the Score podcast. Let's go. Before the Score. What's up, everyone? Welcome to Before the Score, episode number 46. I'm Steve Samra. We have big breaking news here on today's episode. We had a whole episode planned for you around other stuff. And of course, something always undercuts it in the sports world. So James Harden is a Brooklyn net. It is official. It was in the works for since the summer, but it got a little kick in the ass when James Harden made those comments after the game last night. And now he is officially going to the Brooklyn Nets. Here's the full details of the trade sent to me by one and only Pablo Hernandez. He says, and this is a trustworthy source. He says the Nets are getting James Harden. The Rockets are getting Victor Oladipo, Dante Exum, Rodion's Kuricks, four first-round picks, four draft swaps. The Cavaliers get Jared Allen and Torian Prince, and the Indiana Pacers get Caris Levert. That's a lot to take in right there. Four-team trades, NBA, one of the only sports that that happens in. So Pablo Hernandez, you were talking a lot about James Harden a couple weeks ago and how you wouldn't want this guy near your team if you're trying to win a championship. So now that the Nets, they went out, the all-out move here to get James Harden, is it championship or bust, and do you like this move? Well, number one, um, I like this move for the team that he went to. Um, I think that he is the perfect type of player um, for that team, being around two other players who fit his type of personality. Uh, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, and now James Harden, they're all uh, players who have the similar type of, I want the ball, this is my game. Um, you know, it's all about us, it's about nobody else mentality. So these three are the perfect people to be around each other. They understand each other. And um, honestly, no other team in the East, the Eastern Conference, even comes close to the amount of talent um, that the Nets have done. And you know what? They're in the biggest city in, uh, in America, in the world, uh, perhaps. This is going to be a very interesting team. But to me, it just brings more eyes uh, to the Nets. You know, we, we're probably going to talk about it later on with what's going on with, Ky- with Kyrie Irving here. Um, I feel like there's always something concerning these three players and now having all these three players on one team, it's going to be a huge drama show every single night, every single night in Brooklyn. It's going to be a problem with these three, but I'll tell you what, being a Knicks fan, like you are Steve, I think this is an absolute phenomenal move because you know what you guys didn't mortgage your future. You guys are in trading for a guy who's going to be a head case. Uh, You guys are doing it the right way, building up young talent and, to me, this is a great move, not only for the sport, because we're going to see how all these three guys react to each other. Are we sure all three of them are even going to be on the floor at the same time ever? Yeah, who knows if Kyrie Irving is going to retire tomorrow. You never know with that guy. But yeah, Pablo, I think you hit the nail on the head here, especially with your Knicks point. I really enjoyed how you put the Knicks in there because 
The Knicks, usually the old Knicks, they would have mortgaged the entire future for a guy like James Harden. Instead, they stayed put. They didn't trade their guys because James Harden wouldn't have came in and made a difference on the New York Knicks. It would have been a little more entertaining, but they still wouldn't be a championship contender. The Brooklyn Nets, on the other hand, now this trade signals that they're all in, and they have to be. They have Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant for three more years. They have to get a championship in those next three years. And who knows with Kyrie Irving now? Like I just said, he might retire by the end of the week. Who knows? By this time this episode airs, it could come out that he's gone. James Harden is a ball-dominant player, though. Kevin Durant, he needs the ball as well. Kyrie Irving, he doesn't need the ball as much, but who knows where he'll be here. The Nets don't have a bench. Jeff Green has to go into the starting lineup. I don't know if this move makes the Nets the best team in the East. I think I would still take the 76ers over them. I think I would still take the Bucks over them. Now it's not them right into that three spot. I'm still taking the Sixers as the best team in the East with Doc Rivers and Joel Embiid playing the way he is. And even if the Nets do make it out of the East, I don't see this team beating the Lakers in a seven-game series. I just It's a move that you have to make if you're the Nets because the window is now, but the future There is no future if you don't win a championship with this team because eight first-round picks, basically, you just traded for James Harden plus Karis LeVert. Uh, The Pacers may get the best end of this deal because they trade away Victor Oladipo on an expiring contract for a young Karis LeVert who's going to be a restricted free agent who they can keep for years to come. This, This is a good trade for the Pacers. I love this trade for the Rockets because it was obvious that James Harden was at the end of his rope and they just get replenished their entire draft. Pretty soon it's going to be only the Thunder and the Rockets in the first round and the Knicks with those second round picks. That's what it seems like right now. Uh, I don't think, I, I think it's really, this thing got a kick in the ass, like you said, because of James Harden's comments, but also because of Kyrie Irving went ghost on the Nets and the Nets are feeling the pressure of having to win now since they assigned Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving to these deals. So they have to win soon. And now KD was back healthy. This was the year that they were targeting to go all in. And now Kyrie just threw a wrench in their whole plan. So I think they were working on it from the summer. And I don't know if it happens anytime soon, unless one, uh, James Harden was as disgruntled as he was. And two, if Kyrie Irving doesn't go off the grid and get, uh, into these scandals with going to parties and being maskless and that whole drama. So I don't know if Kyrie's ever going to play for the Nets again. He can be back tomorrow. He can retire tomorrow. No one really knows. So I think this is a deal that the Nets had to make, had to make because they already put their chips at the center of the table. They already went all in when they signed these two players. So if Kyrie kind of tries to screw them over in the sense that they went all in and now they can't be a championship contending team because, um, it was a Dinwiddie got hurt and Kyrie's off the grid. Uh, so they had to kind of double down and get James Harden on this deal. Now, Steve, one last question before we uh, wrap up the segment here. Who's to say that, you know what, Kyrie Irving, maybe his days are numbered with the Brooklyn Nets, but maybe they look to move him. Maybe they look to move him for another type of point guard. Who's to say they don't trade him perhaps in a package, bring back Westbrook, get the band back together. Westbrook, Durant, James Harden, and Brooklyn – you know, we always wanted to know what would have been if all three of them were on the same team. Now, let's say that happens. That'd be pre- that'd be pretty big news. I mean, well, I think we've already seen them on the same team together, but but Kyrie Irving, his value has never been lower than it is right now. He will not fetch the same return that James Harden even got from the Wizards. It just won't happen. No team is going to take a shot on this guy. He's too volatile right now. It set the Celtics back years by trading and making that trade. And now it's set back the Nets. 
because this signing has been nothing but just a pain in their ass to them. Honestly, if I looked at a stat yesterday, Kyrie Irving's only played 27 games on the New Jersey, on the Brooklyn Nets. He hasn't been injured. He hasn't been injured. They said last year he was injured. It came out that it was for personal reasons. He wasn't even injured last year. This guy has gone on these crazy personal journeys over the last year. That's fine. You want to go find yourself? That's fine. Don't do it during the basketball season, okay? Pablo, wouldn't you like to take off whenever you want from your job to go find yourself? I'd love it. <laughs> so. I, well, it's listen. just the middle finger to the fans and the middle finger to his teammates and the people who sign his checks. Yeah, Kyrie Irving just isn't is obviously not all there, and he's also the president of the NBA PA, which is a bad one. It's just a horrible look. I can't see Chris Paul, the former president, going out and doing stuff like this. So Kyrie, if he wants to be a social justice warrior, if he wants to help just the world instead of playing basketball, that's great. That's awesome. Go do that, but you, have to but you got to retire. You got, yeah, he's right now he's in the middle and it's just not helping anybody out. And it's making him look bad. He's yeah. garnering a bad reputation. Honestly, he's he, he, might be the pres- he might be the president of the, um, the PA for the NBA, but I'll tell you what, he's creeping up there in my rankings to perhaps being <laughs> v- vice president or president um, of the Odell Beckhamitis fan club. Uh, this is the guy who clearly he's always a me, me, me guy, and he doesn't care about anybody else but himself. I mean, look, if you're a, a dude like him, super talented, got, has a really nice team, you're playing in a, a city like Brooklyn, a nice contract. I mean, doesn't it make sense for you to try, at least try to win a, a championship? I mean, come on. You could sleep when you retire. Now it's time to put in some work. I don't think hey, it's you like think a basketball. I think it's just that he just – He's trying to do too much with his life and he's just not all there mentally. And the fact that he can't just step up, I have no problem with what he's doing off the court, but you can't, while you're under contract and you have a job, you can't try to play both and go ghost on your team and not be clear with what you're doing and what your plans are. Um, If he said like, I'm retiring tomorrow, like I want to go pursue other passions, then by all means, like I have more power to him. I'd gain him a lot more respect than what he's doing right now. I'll tell you what, a lot of people took Kyrie's side over LeBron's side when it all blew up in Cleveland, including me. Over the last couple of years, they've made me and all those other people feel stupid because it's obvious Kyrie was the reason that did not work. And it's a miracle, a miracle. I'll tell you what, I don't know how LeBron did it. He beat the 73-win Warriors. Yeah, that's impressive. But winning a championship with this guy, that that's the more impressive thing. Keeping Kyrie in line all those, those couple of years, that's more impressive. You know what? I feel like there should be some type of uh, rule where they can um, – there should be like a breach in contract. You know, there should be some type of clause to say, you know what, you don't want to play for us. We sign you to this monster deal or whatever. You're, you're locked in for all these years, for all these many millions, and you're not going to play. You're not even injured. There should be something where the team should get compensated, and this contract should be completely voided. Well, they can dock his pay, and they could they could uh, they not pay him his game checks. But I don't think the team is doing that. I think the Nets are kind of giving Kyrie his space to kind of sort things out and hope that he returns and not try to create more bad blood between them. Um, so I think they're kind of just letting this play out for now. But I don't know how much longer they can do that. Yeah, I don't think Kyrie's a bad guy at all. He does a lot of great stuff for the community. But like we said, you got to pick one. You can't leave both sides hanging like that. Let's move on to the other big trade in the New York area. One that makes us a lot more happy. 
I don't know, happy it makes Pablo, but we're going to talk about it today because we haven't had an episode since. And that is Francisco Lindor is a New York Met. It has happened. The first big trade, first big move of the Steve Cohen era. Andrew, start us off on this. What are your thoughts on this trade for the Mets? Now, this is a really good trade for the Mets just because the timing was so perfect because free agency in this whole trade market was like a volcano waiting to erupt and everyone's saying the Mets won't make a move. Steve Cohen uh, had all these big promises and he's not coming through. And there's rumors that the Blue Jays are outbidding the Mets for George Springer. So it was done. All that attention to the Mets was starting to turn negative And then a bombshell at noon on a random weekday um, from Jeff Passan that the Mets traded for Francisco Lindor. Like, okay, Francisco Lindor, that's amazing. That's amazing. And then we didn't know what the return was and we didn't know what, who else was coming back to the Mets. And once the news came out that Carlos Carrasco was also part of the trade, I was ecstatic because that fills two immediate needs for this team. That's defense up the middle, that's a switch hitting bat, and that's a, a starter in the rotation. So it's a perfect trade for the Mets. I don't honestly like, unless Francisco Lindor is a complete and absolute bust as a player, there's no way that this is a fantastic trade for the Mets because Carrasco is not on a crazy expensive contract. Lindor is 27 years old and he could be your shortstop for the next eight years. Um, they only gave up Rosario, who had no more place on this team. If Rosario was kept on this team with Lindor, he'd be on the bench and get 30 at-bats a year. Jimenez, who I liked as a player, but, I mean, if you're getting an all-world caliber shortstop, then you're fine giving away Jimenez. Josh Wolf or John Wolf, uh, the pitcher, the second-round pitcher that Brody, who actually was a decent drafter, um, drafted a couple years ago. I liked him as a prospect, but if you're giving up a relief arm or a middle-of-the-rotation guy four years in the future for Francisco Lindor, again, like that's – a lot less than what you expected to give up. They also give up an outfielder. I forget what his name was, but overall this, this package doesn't get rid of any impact players. So it doesn't hurt the Mets at all. Um, it depletes the prospect pool a little bit, but they still didn't trade away Brett Beatty. They didn't trade away any of their top eight prospects. So that's a home run all the way around. So you didn't trade any of your top eight prospects and you didn't deplete from your, your major league roster. That's a win-win right there. Um, yeah, Andrew, I- I mean, obviously, I agree here. There's no way that this move can be a bad move unless they don't say, resign them. Unless you say you don't resign them. I mean, that's the, honestly the only way. And even if you don't resign them, the package that they put together, even for Carrasco, wouldn't have been that bad of a move. I mean, this is an absolute no-brainer for the Mets for any team. Um, and to me, this might be the biggest trade or biggest move I've ever, ever in my lifetime have seen uh, the New York Mets make. I mean, this is this is crazy. Obviously, I wanted Francisco Lindor on my team. Um, it's pretty obvious unless, you know, things change. He is never going to be a part of the New York Yankees. He's never going to be in the Yankee plans. I mean, you, you hear what he said. I mean, he wants to make New York, uh, you know, bleed orange and blue or whatever. <laughs> it's, to me, that just – it breaks my heart. It doesn't make me happy. Um, man, this, this, is a sl- this is a slam dunk move. Uh, especially for the New York Mets. I mean, this is a team that obviously they are getting better. Um, I don't like to see it, but it's, it's happening right before my very eyes. Um, they're filling up holes like, you know, just, just, like, just like the owner said he was. I mean, George Springer, I already know, is going to be next. And once you add him, um, Francisco Lindor, uh, Jeff McNeil, Pete Alonzo, I don't, I don't like what I'm seeing. But um, I'll tell you what, uh, he's, he's doing all the right things. 
I would have done this move for this package for just simply Francisco Lindor. Exactly. You throw in Cookie Carrasco in here. I couldn't believe my eyes when I saw that the Indians agreed to this trade. You even saw rival executives going around saying, this is a complete robbery, a robbery. I couldn't believe it. All offseason, we were talking about this Francisco Lindor trade, and we were saying, do we include Dom Smith? Do we include Pete Alonso? Do we include Brett Beatty? We didn't even include any of those guys. We included two guys who wouldn't even have a place on this team after Francisco Lindor's trade. Yes, Jimenez was a nice player in a 60-game season. That is not enough to not trade him for Francisco Lindor. I like Jimenez, but he'll never. it's more of a chance he'll never be the type of player Francisco Lindor is. And Rosario... Yes, Andrew, I know he was your boy, number one prospect in all of baseball at a time, but he was never living up to that hype. He was already getting benched for Jimenez. It just was not happening for Ahmed Rosario in New York. A fresh start in Cleveland may help them both out, but Francisco Lindor, an extension does have to get done. I believe it will get done. You got the richest owner in baseball. You got a front office who wants to keep Lindor, unless he really, really hates New York, specifically the Mets. This this extension is getting done. Also, Carrasco, you have him under team control for, I believe, another two years yeah. after this. It was just a slam dunk move by the Mets. Jared Porter putting his fingertips, fingerprints all over this team already. I love it. If this was Brody Van Wagenen, the Mets would have lost Beatty, Smith, Alonzo, DeGrom. Who else in this trade? This makes the Cano trade Oh, man, does it make it look so much worse, too, so because bad. seeing what Alderson and Porter pulled off in this deal is insane to me. And I just, as a Mets fan, I, I was just grinning ear to ear all day when I heard Lindor was going to be a Met because it's something that was never imaginable before this new ownership came into power. Two of my takeaways from this is, one, that the Mets – are, and the Mets and the Padres are two of the teams that are really taking advantage of a very slow market and really scared teams. A lot of these billionaire owners are crying poor that, oh, we didn't have any any uh, revenue from the 2020 season. We're not going to go dish out these big contracts and we're not going to re-sign our stars. You see teams like the Cleveland Indians and the Tampa Bay Rays shedding payroll and shedding these, these uh, fantastic players for prospects and building young, controllable players. Um, and the other takeaway is how different this new regime is for the Mets. You can already tell the Mets haven't made a big splash free agency signing, but you can just tell with the way they approached the Francisco Lindor trade, they were taking on more money in exchange uh, for giving away less prospects. So they're, they're not hurting their farm system to save money. Um, Cookie Carrasco is, is making a decent amount of money, but it's not going to handicap them at all. Uh, Francisco Lindor, that's not a trade you make unless you're willing to pay 280 to 300 plus a million dollars to keep him there long term. They're never, no one is even questioning whether or not they, they're going to re sign him because everyone just knows it's going to happen because it's new ownership and there's a sense of faith in this, this, this front office that you didn't have with the Wilpons and Brody Van Wagenen. We were holding our breath every time there was, there was a trade made or a, a contract signed to see what the details were how much we gave up to get these players, but that's not really a, a worry anymore for me. Well, uh, to me, I think it's pretty obvious, you know, with the, with the state of the world, the state of sports, uh, the financial stability of every single team, that there have been so many trades this off season. Uh, I'm not sure if you guys have noticed every single big move that has gone on in major league baseball has been trade, 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 trade. Teams are not really spending money right now. And the fact that the, the Mets were able to look at a team like the Indians a team that we all knew they wanted to shop Francisco Lindor. We all knew that it wasn't going to take that much 
uh, player-wise to, to, you know, to take on a guy like him. It was all about picking up the contract. It was all about taking on that, that uh, salary of Francisco Lindor. And I think the Mets did an absolute wonderful thing by not, you know, looking at some, some way to fix the shortstop hole in the free agent market. They went, they traded, they're looking a year ahead. They're looking many years ahead. Um, they want Francisco Lindor to see how the team is. They want Francisco Lindor to understand New York, the New York Mets. And I think just him uh, playing one season with New York, he's never going to leave. And um, man, I'll tell you, I'll tell you one last thing about Francisco Lindor. Um, I want to say about a year, two years ago, I ordered a Puerto Rico jersey from this website. Now I had an option. There's not any Puerto Rico players who play for the New York Yankees. Um, I mean, aside from Carlos Beltran, but he was already off the team at that point. Um, so I was thinking, you know, he's I was a, a cheater very big... in your eyes, right? <laughs> no, he's not you a wanna, cheater. I was, I was a very baseball. <laughs> I was a very big Carlos Correa uh, fan. So I tell you what, before this whole cheating scandal came out, and before he said all these things and hit all these home runs against the New York Yankees, I bought a Carlos uh, Correa Puerto Rico jersey. Now, come to find out, he's a cheater. Uh, he says all these bad things. He's cocky. Um, he doesn't understand or he doesn't want to admit that his team did wrong. So this whole time I'm upset. I'm like, man, I should have got a Francisco Lindor jersey. He's going to be a future Yankee. What happens? Francisco Lindor he goes to the Mets. And, oh, man, I just – I don't know, man. I don't know, man. It's like I couldn't win. I got Lindor or I got Correa. Wait, hey, um, you can always get a Seth Lugo next time. I don't know, man. It's, <laughs> it was nice it's this baseball crazy. In Puerto I'm just Rico. I'm extremely, extremely worried. And I don't mean just to turn this on the Yankees, but um, Francisco Lindor, I understand that he's a much better player than DJ LeMayo. I'm not comparing the two. But um, in terms of having a backup plan, a plan B, if the Yankees were not able to bring back DJ LeMayo, I really wanted them to go after Francisco Lindor. Now, the fact that Lindor is not on the market anymore um, and the Yankees are taking so much time with DJ LeMayo, I'm growing more worried and worried by the day. Um, because if the Yankees aren't able to bring him back, I really don't know who's going to play second, who's going to play short. I don't understand what the plan is right now. And as a New York Yankee fan, I'm frightened, I'm terrified, and I'm thinking that next year is going to be a wasted year. If you guys don't sign, re-sign LeMahieu, I don't know what happens to your World Series window. I don't know what you're thinking because Garrett Cole was only signed for, what was it, how long was that deal? Nine years. Oh, it was a nine-year deal. But that back end can get a little scary, you know that. So in the front of that deal, you gotta, you gotta go for it, man. Especially with these rookie contracts and man, the Yankees, if they don't re-sign DJ LeMayhew, and especially they're pissing this guy off too. He's starting to re-engage with other teams, specifically the Toronto Blue Jays. And that would be a real kick in the gut. But Pablo, what would your feelings be if the Mets middle infield or uh, left side infield turns out to be Francisco Lindor? and DJ LeMahieu? Well, number one, I would give up all hope um, in the New York Yankees. <laughs> I, I, I don't even know. Honestly, as a Met fan, and also you, Andrew, what would you think about the, the Mets not going after George Springer and them potentially turning to another trade? I'm not talking about Chris Bryant. I'm talking about a guy like Nolan Arenado. Now, you have, you have J.D. Davis at third base. Who's to say you don't ship him? You ship out a bad contract in Cano. You ship out an Edwin Diaz. You ship out other prospects. You take on the contract of Nolan Arenado. You put him over at third. Arenado, Francisco Lindor for the next 10 years. What do you think about that? I mean, I'm not trying to trade away a pitcher. Like, I know Edwin Diaz, like most fans would, would 
at the drop of a hat trade him away because of what he did in his first year. But the Mets are in a position to trade away any pitching, honestly. Obviously, Nolan Arenado is a superstar player and it would be worth it. But um, if they can get him for – if they can take advantage of another team trying to shred, shed payroll and, and uh, take on less prospects to save money, then I think the Mets should explore it at least. I don't think there's any chance in hell it happens, especially since the, the Mets are knocking on the door of the luxury tax. I'd rather go after a bigger need in center field. Third base, yeah, you don't want J.D. Davis's glove there, but, I mean, you could slide McNeil there. You could slide a bunch of people there. Um, you, can, you can find ways to fill that third base hole. Um, the Mets don't have an option for center field right now. So I think that's more of a pressing need. I think if they can get a little bit more, they, I, I would go after a guy like Corey Kluber for the rotation and go after a guy like Brad Hand for the bullpen or a guy like George Springer for center. I think those are more pressing needs for the Mets than necessarily a mega million deal for Nolan Arenado to play third. Yeah, this offseason has taught us so far that besides the Mets, Dodgers, and Padres, everybody else is a poverty team right now. White Sox are making moves. White Sox so. too, yeah. And White Sox, fine. And the Put the White Sox in there. The Nationals, they signed sign Kyle Schwarber. Let's relax. <laughs> yeah, Kyle Schwarber. Yeah, a the, minor the league deal, league, I believe. Big market team. It's not a minor league deal. I, I, I tell you, I tell you what. Um, the Mets, they're looking a lot, a lot better. Um, but you know what? That's why you play the games. But they should have been done. They should not be complacent where they no. are yet. Um, I, I they're not. Have, I don't believe they are. Whole, I don't think they're done. The I, Mets, I, where I, they I, stand I, right I, now, if opening day was tomorrow, I don't think they're – They, I don't know if they're a clear-cut division winner. They can maybe make a wild card or, or compete for the division, but they're not the best team in the NL right now. So why be complacent? If you're, if you're trading prospects away and you're talking about paying all this money and you're scared of the luxury tax, then you're kind of – on the fence about it. You, get, you should either go all in or not. So if you're going to be all in, if you're going to trade for Francisco Lindor, you have to sign more pieces to fill these last remaining holes to actually be a legit World Series contender. We'll keep our eye on the MLB moves. Maybe next week's episode, we'll get a DJ LeMayhew update. But let's move on to our football portion of the show. And before we make our picks for the divisional round, I got to talk to Andrew real quick because Matt Campbell was his number one choice last week. Didn't even want to interview for the Jets job. But this is something that's irking me because as a Giants fan, you know, I like to keep an eye on the Jets. I would love for them to hire Robert Sala because that guy, he's my number one pick for that Jets job. I like him a lot as a candidate. And the Jets brought him in for a second interview today and they let him leave the building without the contract. What are they doing? Why is he not the coach of the Jets right now? I don't know why, especially because they brought him to a second interview and had no plans to interview anybody else. Uh, there was no leaks by any other potential finalist candidates. It was just Robert Sala. And he was in the building last night. There was someone in the bushes watching him get into the building last night. And he was still there in the morning. So I don't know if they had a slumber party or what happened at one Jets drive, but he was still there in this morning. So you think, okay, he's there for the second day of the second interview. He has to be the guy, right? He has to be the coach and they have to get a contract done before he leaves. Nope. That's what the Jets do. Um, so I don't know where they're going to pivot from here. I don't think the Robert Sala idea is dead. Um, I think he might want to weigh his other options because the Jets are a shithole and I don't blame him. <laughs> but the fact that they let them leave the building just bombshells every chance of him, every, the really high chance of him becoming the next Jet, jet head coach. And I don't think Robert Sala was my number one choice as Jets coach. But the more I thought about it and more I thought about the culture that he would bring 
and the leadership that he would bring. I think there's no other coordinator who has his leadership skills. And I think that's something that's really important. He can kind of transition into that CEO of a team as opposed to a Rex Ryan defensive guy, a rah-rah guy. I think he could be more than that, more than an Adam Gase offensive head coach while Greg Williams is the defensive head coach. He was a coach for the whole team, and he, I loved his personality and what he would bring in that perspective. So I was all on board with this hire, um, but that, did, that has not happened yet. So the Jets might have a new head coach by the time this episode airs. They might not. Uh, they might play it out until after the Super Bowl to, to see if the enemy is going to be named the head coach. So I don't know what they're going to do. To me, uh, Robert Sala was the Jets' Joe Judge. That, that's what I was thinking. That's what I was liking it to. That's what the Jets need right now. They don't need an Arthur Smith. I don't think they need a Joe Brady yet. He's just no. too young to take that leadership control of that team. He's a better fit with the Falcons, I believe. I look at these candidates for the Jets, and I just – everybody else they interviewed, I like Biennemi, but there's word that nobody likes him that much as a candidate. And that's because – now, it may sound crazy that nobody likes him that much as a candidate, but apparently they don't like the way Andy Reid's offensive assistants have looked. I know a lot of people said that his other assistants, like well, a Sean McDermott, Sean uh, John Harbaugh, people like that, but that's defense, special teams, people who had to do their stuff apart from Andy Reid, but the recent – jobs that Doug Peterson and Matt Nagy have done have not impressed people. And that's a name that I want to focus on real quick because Doug Peterson fired, who knows, maybe the Jets were all in on Robert Sala ready to offer him a contract. And then, and then the Eagles did it. They they got rid of Doug Peterson and now Joe Douglas sees his boy on the streets and he wants to give him a place to come stay. He wants to have another sleepover. So Andrew, Doug Peterson, could he be the Jets' next head coach? Yes, he could be, and that's what worries me. Um, I was listening to, to, I think it was ESPN Radio or The Fan. What, I think it was Carden and Evan, and they had Joe Douglas on to talk about the Jets' plans for the offseason. And they talked about how he wanted a CEO and, and all that that nonsense that, that he's not proving it. But he talked about – they asked him about the Doug Peterson and the Eagles situation after the game with the Washington football team. And he was like, oh, I don't know. I didn't really watch that game, but I have all the respect in the world. Everyone in that Eagles front office and Doug himself, I think Doug is a phenomenal person. So he was, he was gushing up about, about Doug Peterson. So I know they have a strong relationship. They won a Super Bowl together. Of course they would have a strong relationship, but I just hope that the Johnsons and Chris Johnson is just sensible enough to not go the Adam Gase route. I know Doug Peterson is a much better head coach than Adam Gase, but you don't want to go with a retread 10 days after he gets fired from his previous job and he got run out of town after winning a Super Bowl three years prior. That's just horrible. That doesn't happen getting run out of town three years after winning a Super Bowl for a team that's never won a Super Bowl. That's insane. They have a statue of him outside in the parking lot and they fired yeah, him three years move. later. I don't know how you can – that has to be a detriment to Doug Peterson himself. I don't think he's as good of an offensive mind as – it show as he was in 2017 with Frank Reich. So I'd be really worried about them hiring him. And I think it's actually pretty possible, especially since Robert Sella left the building. Cause once he was in the building for a second interview, I'm like, okay, good. I can put my Doug Peterson where he's to bed. Nope. Yeah. I, I am shocked. Shocked. I thought I was going to get the notification today. Robert Sala, New York Jets head coach. Then it says Robert Sala's driving up to Philadelphia to go interview for the Eagles job. So 
I couldn't believe they let him leave the building, even though you had some reporter acting like Manish Mehta in the bushes watching Joe Douglas's kid eat ice cream, taking the pictures of him arriving there. I just maybe maybe uh, Robert Solid just needed a place to stay for a night. Uh, that's what it seems like. He, he didn't want to pay for a hotel. A, hotel. a free hotel. I, I, I don't think that hiring – Doug Peterson would be a good move at all. That would be the worst move. I know the Giants hired Jason Garrett as offensive coordinator, but this would be like hiring Jason Garrett as a head coach last year. Yeah. You mentioned Joe Joe Brady, and I do not want Joe Brady to be the next head coach of the New York Jets, even though he interviewed. Um, But going from college coordinator to NFL head coach in two years is just too big of of a jump for me. And he's, he's too young and too raw. And I don't know if he developed those leadership qualities. But even I would take that over Doug Peterson right now. I'd, I'd roll the dice on a Joe Brady or a Brian Dable or someone other than Doug Peterson, please. Yeah, I think Brian Dable is the safest pick after after uh, if Salah doesn't show up to the Jets. We'll see what happens with that, though. Let's get started on our divisional round picks. First game of the week, we have the L.A. Rams at the Green Bay Packers. 435 on Saturday. The Packers are six and a half point favorites. Who you got? Um, probably want to set this off. Okay. So we have the Packers and the Rams. Look, I'm going to be honest with you. We all know how I feel about the Packers. I lost all hope in them. Uh, that one windy night uh, in Indianapolis. But I'll tell you what. Um, the Rams, there's something about the Rams. There's something about their, their young, um, their bold head coach that I do really like this this Rams team. And I'll tell you what, um, I'm going to have to go with the Rams here. Yeah, uh, the Rams impressed me a lot last couple of weeks. They Their defense looks phenomenal against the Cardinals and now against the Seahawks in the playoffs. I really thought Seattle was going to win that game just because of the quarterback play. And John Wolford started for the Rams. He didn't really play much before he got knocked out of the game and since the hospital. And Jared Goff with one thumb beat the Seattle Seahawks. So, hello, Junior. Um I thought, I think there's <laughs> yeah, a- my dog, he was, he was knocking down the damn door to get in his office. So I guess I got to do the rest of the podcast with him. It's your boy. <laughs> to my point, live. I think the Rams have a shot to win this game, but I'm not going to pick it. I can't pick them to win. Uh, Green Bay is a much better team overall. They have the future MVP of this year, Aaron Rodgers. They have the best wide receiver in football, Devonta Adams. And that's the comp- That's the, the perfect scenario to try to beat the, the Los Angeles Rams who have a stacked defense and an amazing pass rush and Jalen Ramsey. And this offense can go toe-to-toe with the Rams defense. So I think the Packers defense will hold its own against a, a limping uh, – hobbled uh, Jared Goff in that horrible offense. So I think as long as I don't think the Packers offense will lose them the game, therefore the Packers will win the game. Yeah. I can't see the Packers going out in the first round again. That's it seems like they've gone out in the first, in the divisional round more times than Aaron Rodgers. I think this is the best Packers team we've seen in in years. Yeah. I think since the 15 and one season, this is the best Packers team. That team, of course, lost to the New York Giants, but I digress. I believe the Packers will win this game. I don't think the uh, the Rams – the Rams' defense is fantastic. Yes, I know that. Amazing defense. But I don't think that the Rams' offense can keep up with the Green Bay Packers' offense, and I think that will be the difference in the game. Give me the better quarterback. Give me Aaron Rodgers to at least get one more Super Bowl ring. We'll see if he makes it there, but he'll at least make it to the game. Next game we have here, we have – the Baltimore Ravens and the Buffalo Bills. What a crazy game on a divisional round wow. Saturday night. Could be snowy. 
The Bills are two and a half point favorites. Who's winning this game? I'll start it off here. I'll start it off here. Um, number one, I've been super vocal about, um, you know, the Baltimore Ravens. This is a team that they never win in the big game. Uh, they never they never win playoff games in general. Um, but I'll tell you what, that Lamar Jackson uh, performance that he had was just – it was tremendous, man. That dude was – he's so fast. He's like – he's fast. You know, he's a good playmaker. He just does all the right things. But I'll tell you what, my pick at the beginning of, you know – when, when we were making, uh, you know, World's, not World Series, uh, Super Bowl predictions two weeks ago, I picked the Buffalo Bills, and I'm going to stick with the Buffalo Bills. The Buffalo Bills are the team to beat in the NFL this year. That's the team that's going to win. Um, you know, Lamar Jackson, he's going to put up um, a lot of a lot of runs. He's, gonna, he's probably going to rush for over 200 yards. That's how good he is. But the team is not going to win, and there's only so much he can do. Yeah, I was high on the Ravens last week when they went against Tennessee. I think that third time around that they had to win that game, and that was a really big game for Lamar Jackson. And he started off horrible. They went down 10 nothing after Lamar Jackson threw a disgusting pick to, to Malcolm Butler. Um, but that being said, I think they got a big big monkey off their back with, with this one playoff win, and the, they proved that they can come back from a deficit. They were down 10 nothing, and they're a team that doesn't come back down from – come back from down 10 nothing. So I think they showed me a lot last week. Um, Buffalo did not show me much last week. They were pretty flat against Indianapolis for the most part. And then Frank Wright got too cute and they ended up uh, beating uh, Indianapolis, but they did not look good. I know the playoffs are such a tricky situation where one week, some team can look beatable and then look unstoppable the next week. So there's a fairly decent chance that the Bills win this game by 30, but that being said, I'm going to pick the Baltimore Ravens to go into Buffalo and beat the Buffalo Bills because fuck the Buffalo Bills. Um, so Lamar Jackson, after his finally getting his big win, he's going to stack that and double that. Yeah, it's early in the week. We make these picks on Wednesday nights, so a lot of stuff can change from now and then, but we got to lock it in on Wednesday. So that's what we got to do. I'm going with the Baltimore Ravens right now because I think that this offense is the perfect offense to defeat the Buffalo Bills and the defense is playing out of their damn minds. Stop the run game. Stop Josh Allen, which I think they can. I can't believe the job that the Baltimore Ravens defense did on the Tennessee Titans last week because that they should have not scored one touchdown. That A.J. Brown touchdown, yes, it was a push-off. Refs were calling that game so inconsistently. So he called that pass interference. No touchdown scored after that by the Tennessee Titans. They got out to a quick 10-0 lead. They scored 13 points. It's crazy. So that team, they shut down one of the best offenses in the entire NFL. Bad look for Arthur Smith, the offensive coordinator. I'll tell you that. Might have lost I know uh, <laughs> Mike Garofalo on the NFL Network was saying this is the greatest job interview for Mike or Arthur Smith. And he, when they're up 10 nothing, he's impressing everybody. And then by the fourth quarter, he's like, maybe this interview is not going so great for <laughs> Arthur Smith. So I'm going to pick the the Baltimore Ravens, although this is the pick that I've wrestled with. This is the hardest pick for me. This is the hardest pick of the week. But I'm going to go with them to walk in to Buffalo and just, man, that that city's going to be dejected, but it's going to happen. Baltimore, Lamar Jackson. I love the swagger he was playing with last week. He finally got that first playoff win, gets number two this week. Let's go to Sunday, Sunday afternoon. 
crazy matchup. This is not one I expected here. This is not one that uh, Cliff Kingsbury certainly expected when he was back at Texas Tech as the head coach because his two quarterbacks from Texas Tech, Baker Mayfield and Patrick Mahomes, are squaring off in the AFC divisional round. We have the Cleveland Browns going to Kansas City as 10-point underdogs to take on the defending Super Bowl champions. So does the quest for the repeat keep going, or do the Browns end it here? Who well, win in this one? I'll start this off, and you look at the Browns last week, and I think the Pittsburgh Steelers lost that game just as much as the Browns won that game. The Pittsburgh Steelers, you can come out, they went out as flat as you could possibly be. They set a record for biggest deficit in the first quarter in playoff history. Um, you start the game with a snap over or giant Big Ben's head, and that was just had Peyton Manning Super Bowl written all over it when they lost in MetLife. So you know the game was going to go downhill from there. And they they doubled and tripled that by throwing two straight interceptions and, and turning the ball over left and right. And then next thing they know, they blinked and they're down 28 nothing. Uh, the Chiefs aren't going to do that against the Browns. The Browns are going to have to play a near flawless game to, be, to win this game. So I think the Browns will keep it closer than that 10-point spread, I think it is. Um, but I'm going to pick the Chiefs to win. The Chiefs are just too clean in offense. They're too good of an offense. I don't think the Browns' defense is really going to – can't stop them for four quarters. I think there's a good chance that the Browns are, are within a score going into the fourth quarter. But I think late in the game, Chiefs are going to pull away. Offense is going to be too much for them to handle, and they'll win the game. Um, yeah, you know what? The, man, the Chiefs really impressed me. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, obviously, he's still the number one at his position. I'm going to have to go with the um, – obviously, I'm going to go against the Browns here. I hate the Browns. I hate Baker Mayfield. The Dookie Browns. The Dookie Browns. Um, but you know what? The Browns, they did impress me, but that's it. Um, they played their last – they had their last win last Sunday, and it's over for them. Andrew, I like the way you phrased that because I agree. I don't think that – I think it was just as much as the Steelers losing that game as the Browns winning that game. And I do believe Ben Roethlisberger, yes, he caught a lot of flag for his performance that game. But that comeback he led was furious. And he ended up throwing for, I believe, 500 yards. He threw it 70 times. Yeah, completed almost 50 passes, five touchdowns. I think he threw five interceptions. But he still, uh, that was impressive to me, Big Ben even getting that close to winning that game with the hole that they were in in the first, I believe it was the first 10 minutes. They were down 28 nothing, which was insane. But – the, obviously the Steelers took the Browns a little too lightly. I don't know what Mike Tomlin was doing. Cause usually he's not one to do that, but I will pick the chiefs here because the chiefs will not let that happen. Patrick Mahomes, greatest quarterback on the planet, greatest football player on the planet. This chiefs team, I don't really see a weakness on this team. I'm almost surprised this team isn't undefeated right now because they honestly, they could be, I mean, they have two losses, but those two losses were close losses. They had some close calls against teams they took lightly, I believe, like the Falcons and the Panthers and the Chargers with Justin Herbert that we I think it was week two. But Chiefs, give me them in this game to win. I think that this will be a statement win. Patrick Mahomes has showed out in the playoffs. He may be the best playoff quarterback besides Tom Brady, the NFL right now. Every playoff game he's been in, just been fantastic. So give me Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. I just think they're on another level than the Browns. And I believe Baker Mayfield – Dan, I know you're not here. You can't defend your boy. I think he's going to be overmatched by his his college replacement. Man, that's got to sting. The guy who replaced you in college. I know you went to Oklahoma, probably had a better career there. Probably won the Heisman, definitely had a better career there. But, uh, man, that's got to sting for Baker Mayfield. This guy's just better than you every, every time you match up. All right, final game of the week. We have 
the old guard here. We have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Tom Brady against Drew Brees and the New Orleans Saints. The Saints are three-point favorites at home in the Superdome. I picked against them last week. Who you got here? Pablo? Um, to me, I think this is the toughest game here. Um, number one, this perhaps is probably going to be, um, you know, if they lose, the last game for Drew Brees. So I do not think that Drew Brees wants to go out um, in the divisional round. I think that Drew Brees wants to continue to play. I think that Drew Brees wants to make one final run. And at the end of the day, I think Drew Brees uh, wants to win a Super Bowl. So does every other player. Um, and I do think that this is going to be a phenomenal game. I think it's going to be a very low-scoring game, a very tight game. And I'm, I see the Saints coming up on top. They're going to dethrone uh, the Buccaneers, and they're going to ride all this to the Super Bowl. So Saints, that's my team. That's the team I'm, I'm picking to go to the Super Bowl. Yeah, this game would be a lot easier to pick for me if the Buccaneers didn't look brutal against the Saints both times they played them. Um, but I'm going to go with the Buccaneers for this game, and I'll tell you why. The Saints have not impressed me. I know they won that game handily against the Bears, but their offense looked disgusting in the first half. They scored seven points in the first half against a team that couldn't move the ball. They were constantly getting good field position and at every opportunity to score more than seven points in the first half, and they couldn't. And this Saints offense just doesn't look right with Michael Thomas barely playing this year. With Drew Brees, it looks like he fell off a cliff physically. Um, I know he's playing hurt probably still, but outside of Alvin Kamara, there's no one I'm really scared of in that Saints offense the way it's performing right now. So there's a chance because the last two times that the Buccaneers played the Saints, the Saints defense won the game for them. They didn't even need their offense because Tom Brady could not beat that Saints defense. But I think a third time facing that Saints defense, I think Antonio Brown finally in the mix and looking like the old Antonio Brown, I think the Buccaneers win this game. They'll have enough offensive firepower to overcome the Saints defense. It is so tough to beat a team three times in one year. You look back at every time it's happened in the playoffs and almost every time the team that lost the first two matchups wins the third one. The only time I can ever remember it happening where the team actually three times swept that team was the New Orleans Saints and the Carolina Panthers a couple years ago in the wild card round when the Saints and Drew Brees defeated Cam Newton and the Panthers. Now we get the Saints in that same situation again. Drew Brees, Tom Brady matchup we've all looked forward to for years. Should have been the Super Bowl two, uh, three years ago. Yeah. No, two years ago. Two years ago. When uh, that's the horrible. Pass interference. Oh, man. Disgusting. Horrible. And then we got that horrible rule out of it. That we got a horrible about Super Bowl out of it. Yeah, I know. We, we deserved it from those stupid refs. <laughs> After Okay, let's, let's get back on subject here. I'm going to pick the Buccaneers for that reason as well, because I believe Tom Brady is a man on a mission. And the last time the Saints and uh, and Buccaneers played was, I believe, week 11. And it was, it was Antonio Brown's first game there. He wasn't acclimated to the offense. It was completely different times for these Buccaneers. That's a long, that's an eternity in football terms, 10 weeks almost. I am going with the Buccaneers here because I just think they're going – I, I Tom Brady in the playoffs is a different animal. Drew Brees in the playoffs, he's not been that way. It's always been a heartbreaking loss. It's always been the bugaboos. He got lucky with this Bears draw because the Bears were terrible. I don't know what I was thinking last week, picking them. I was kicking myself during the game, the entire game. I had to root for that horrible offense. It was hell. Made the game hell. I was regretting it the entire day. I was legitimately pissed off. I picked the Bears in that game. 
Javon Wims dropping a wide open pass in the end zone, horrible. But the Buccaneers are going to win this game. Pablo, I know you like the Saints. The winner of this game could very well be the NFC champion, but I'm going to go with the Buccaneers tear. Even though I'm not a big fan of Bruce Arians, I don't think that he's been a great coach this year. Before this year, I did like him. I thought he was a good coach, but I think this year it's shown that he may be a little overrated as a head coach. I'm going to go with Tom Brady and the Buccaneers anyway, though. So give me them to beat the Saints. You know, I'm pretty sure I chose the complete opposite of all you guys this week. So. No, I think we all picked the Chiefs. But I'm, I'm very, yeah. very, very concerned how I have the identical picks of Steve right now, so I might have to change it for our playoff identical? pool. TBD. Wow. Nice. We both picked <laughs> hey, the Ravens yeah. and, and Buccaneers as our upsets, and then the two chalky number one seeds as our, our, our as the favorites to win. Let's not forget I was 4-0 at a point last week. I was on fire. Then I hit a, hey, a wall hey. with the Bears and the fucking <laughs> Let's relax. idiot Let's relax Steelers. Because I also was 4-0, so – you no, know. you weren't. You were three and zero, and then the Titans lost. I went four and two, but it should have been five and one. Damn it! I was so also the four and two. Fucking Taylor Heineke. I, I picked. I picked the the Washington football team when Alex was supposed to be starting that game. Damn it! Well, I also have Dan's picks here. Dan six and zero. Thank God he's not here to brag about it. He is going with the Rams, the Bills, oh the Chiefs, and the Buccaneers. So the only difference here, he's going with the Rams over the Rams. Packers. He's the still going with the, the Bills. Oh, yeah, the Bills. So we have different picks on Saturday. We're going to be either whoa, whoa, happy. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait, wait, wait. Wait, so he has Rams, Bills, Chiefs, and who does he – does he have Buccaneers. Saints? No. No, Buccaneers. Saints. This is the wow. perfect situation for the Pablo curse where he's the only one who gets it wrong. I'm down with that. Give I'm me the Pablo curse for those games. Okay. All right. Well, let's just say I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put down some money on a 14 parlay here. I'm going to put down $1,000, and we're going to see who comes up on sure, time. I don't, I, you ever, I don't think you've ever gotten four picks in a right in a row on this show. <laughs> Okay. I don't want no say in that 14 parlay for that much money. The 500 almost made my heart stop. <laughs> all right. Well, that's all we have for episode 46 of the For the Score podcast. We'll be back next week for the NFL championship game picks. Maybe some more DJ LeMay, who knew? See how the James Harden trade is working out Hopefully for the, the Nets. Hopefully the Nets have a fucking coach. Yeah, we'll see if Robert Solid comes back down the turnpike to go back in to one Jets way. But that's all we got for the podcast today. Thanks for joining us. Everybody stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll see you back next week for episode 47.